What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of DPH Clinical. I got the guys from Colorado Surgical Institute with us today, Dr. Dan Brisky and Dr. Tahir Dune. What's happening, guys? What's going on, man? What's up, brother? Happy holidays. Yeah, happy holidays. So we're, we're, we're talking about something I've never had clinically, but I know a lot of people do, and that's tooth sensitivity. <laughs> you guys ever had that? No, never, never. <laughs> no, it doesn't happen ever. <laughs> yeah, that's what everyone, it, nothing hurt until you touched it, Doc. <laughs> yep, all your fault. The cavity was your fault. The possible root canal was your fault. The fracture was your fault. <laughs> yeah, all of it. everything. This is, this is why being a dentist is so hard and so sometimes infuriating is because we, we deal with these issues. And, and I've always said, my friends will ask me, what's so hard about being a dentist? I'm like, it's unpredictable. It's just, un- there's, there's a level, you can do everything by the book and it's unpredictable. But let's, let's unpack tooth sensitivity. And um, I think this is a problem that every single dentist goes through. I will be transparent and I will admit that my first three years out of school, when I graduated, we were doing amalgams. You know, in school, we did a little composites. And I remember asking somebody, why do I have this thick like gap in my class twos? And they said, well, it's bond. Are you thinning your bond? And I said, thin my bond. I did that for three years. I never thinned my bond. I didn't evaporate the solvent. I just freaking painted it on and cured it. Like nobody, like how did I even survive? You know how many fillings I did like that? Like probably like 700 or something like that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just going to throw that out there and admit that I did that. I'll let you guys take it from here. Like it's too sensitivity. Go for it. Yeah. I feel like this is one of the non-surgical topics we get like all the time from doctors and regardless of age, right? I mean, we're all thinking, man, you know, this is topic might be for the new grads. It's actually not for the new grads. There's plenty of tips for the little bit more experienced doctors out there to, to make sure that we're diagnosing correctly and, and doing the correct thing here for the patient, including Anywhere from budding adjustments to the bite, to bond, to material selection, to bruxism, TMJ issues, and then all the way leading into even sleep apnea. That was super comprehensive. Yeah. And, and think of it also from a profitability standpoint. I mean, you don't get compensated too much on fillings. And then if you got to bring that patient back in for a post-op, I mean, you're burning you know, hundred to two hundred dollars, depending on your overhead to heat and cool the building, your rent, your you know sterile costs, all of the above, your payroll to adjust a bite or to redo the filling. I mean, you're negative on it at that point. Everybody in the office sees it too. Everybody at the front sees that patient coming back. Sees why are there so many patients coming in? Why does everybody have post-op sensitivity? And um, you can lose lose the endorsement of your team that way too. So it's an important issue. Let's start with just regular fillings, good anesthetic technique, and then good isolation. I think if you spend more time on isolation and getting a really good marginal adaptation, I mean, I don't really use Toffelmeyer's anymore. I think you know Garrison's, Paladins, you know whatever those other you know companies are. That type of ring system works a little bit better. It puts the contact in the right place. And then again, Paul's point, you know, thinning out the acetone or alcohol solvent in the bonding. And the rule of thumb is air dry it until it stops moving. Air dry significantly until you see no more movement in your bond and then you're good to go. Yeah, I remember like reading the instructions on my bond and it said air dry for five seconds. And I'm like, oh, I already do that. But if you ever like sit there and air dry and count five seconds, Chances are you're probably not doing that long. Like most people are like, Psh! like that was like a second and a half. It's like to do five seconds is, is a pretty long time. And even 10 seconds is a long time. 
another thing that always I always do is I like to kind of spray a little bit on the mirror first because just to make sure that all the, the water is coming out because you'd be surprised you don't see it but it does it's it's you know there's a lot of there's still water in those lines. I think that's a really excellent tip because I mean at this pra- Dunes practice we had a separate air. But I mean, 95% of practices have just an air water. But just like you said, Paul, oh my gosh, the level of contamination, if you really think about it, all this mists in there, it doesn't cost much extra to just add an extra holder on your swing mounted chair and then put a, a separate air mounted unit. It's like another 150 bucks. It's very cheap. But a big part about it is, yeah, water inside your prep. Like how terrible is that, right? And, and that feeling is not going to last very long. I don't have an extra hanger. That's why we've never done it because we've got the pizos in every room. Um, but I want that. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm, I'm sure I could figure out a way to do it. You know what's <laughs> funny? This is this is my excuses coming. I'm like, I could totally figure out a way to do this. You know what? I don't want to. Okay, let's let's move on. Yeah. So so you can pay your guy to to split the line, and then they put like a a filtration thing on it, and put an extra hanger, and you can get an extra airline. Also, what happens is when they run the PVC in the wall for the air compressor, if they run it and they don't kind of slant it where the condensed air in those lines can run backwards and away from your units, then you're going to build up water in those lines too. So if you're building an office, talk to your guys about how to run those lines appropriately so then it helps with that. But then, yeah, obviously water contamination, you know, I think we've covered Ask me next month if I did this. <laughs> I already know the answer. <laughs> no, no, I, I, mean, I think I'm, I, I'm thinking about it. I'm like, you're saying it. I'm like, I think I'm going to do this. I think I'm going to actually get the airline because it's, so, it's such an easy. You're right, Brisky. It's so freaking easy. Why just do it? All right, you know what? I'm going to do it. Ask me in a month. Yeah. yeah. So number two, I mean, rubber dam or a dry shield that will suck the humidity out of the breath of the patient and keep that, you know, humidity in their breath from entering into your prep and having even microscopic water contamination with the dry shield. The rubber dam, you know, is always old school and it's it works, but a lot of people only use it for endo and, you know, I'm not going to knock it one way or the other. I mean, we could go in depth into material usage for hybrid this, hybrid that, these are the materials you should use. And I, I don't believe in that at all. I, I really think that if you find a composite, some composites work like a cream, some composites work, you know, more of a packable ability and where it doesn't move as much. It doesn't matter, honestly, what material or composite you're using at all whatsoever. It just depends on how you're placing it, right? Like, for example, my favorite method is using, I use the Paladent rings. I love the Paladent system. It's super easy to use for me. I like it over Garrison. I think Garrison's a little bit clunky feeling for me. So after I get my wedge in and I'll put an ISO dry in, first thing I'll do is etch. You could etch just the enamel. You could etch the dentin. What's the right answer? Honestly, I still don't think it matters. I've done both for so many years and we still don't have two sensitivity. So I etch the whole thing. Part of the etching though is you don't need to over etch. So if you over etch past 10 seconds, you actually get decreased dentin bonding. So that's one thing that a lot of people don't realize. So a little timer clicks in my head. I put my I put my etch and then start counting, right? And after a while, you don't really ever have to count again. But you don't want to wait too long because that way you're going to get a little bit more sensitivity. You could, right? But you're going to decrease your bond strength, which is the most important thing. Yeah, and there's also a product called Clean and Boost out of uh, is it Vista or Apex, whatever they're called now. It's like uh, John Kanka's group, and that acts as your etch, and you cannot overdo it from a time perspective and you cannot over dry it again with etch if you desiccate it too much that also also causes a problem so you don't need it bone dry but with the clean and boost 
you don't need to to be concerned one way or the other. The only time I'm using etch is on like class fives or like uh, for Invisalign attachments because you can't over etch enamel. So on class twos, you're not using etch? You're just using the bond? I'm just using clean and boost because it basically is a substitute for etch. And then I'm going to the bonding agent. Yeah. And you'd think like a class two prep's got mechanical retention for the most part, even if you don't even plan on putting it in there. Yeah. And it always helps to have some kind of mechanical versus just relying on bond strength. Dude, what was that product again, again called the wedding resin? Seam free. So same company has a wedding resin called seam free, which helps yes. mold the composite and get really beautiful margins and anatomy and all this really cool stuff. So a cool comment about that. Seam free is a wedding resin. What that means is a lot of doctors, I know I'd say probably 80% of people listening right now, probably wet their composite with bond, right? You dip your ball burnisher and some bond uh, when you're about done with it, and then you kind of smear it around because you like the way that it seals the margins. But when you do that, you're actually, the bond will create an evaporation layer. So you'll put composite, then you put bond over the top of it. That evaporation layer will go away and the margins will turn brown later down the road. So that's the source of leakage. So the, what this wetting resin is, it actually gets directly put into the composite so you don't end up with that type of evaporation layer around the filling. So it will last longer. Yeah, because it's basically flowable composite without any filler in it. So it's like a similar material where it bonds better. Also, the C-factor shrinking on the uh, curing light, if you over-cure it, it's going to shrink. So if you do a cure, you come back, you increment a layer, you cure, there's less shrinking of the material that's putting stress into the walls. And then I I have to use the stuff they taught me in dental school at least once. So it's called the C-factor. So from that perspective, just be aware that you don't over-cure the tooth either. I didn't know you could over-cure. Yeah. Yeah. So it's heat. So if you have like a velo, they've done studies where you can overheat the pulp. So that's why they have a three second cure. Also, what happens is if you cure a layer and then you give it too much, it'll shrink more. But if you give it the regular three seconds on the velo or your 20 seconds and then you do another layer and then you come back later and cure it again, there's less actual shrinkage on a microscopic level. But it's tension within the tooth. Hmm. Interesting. Now, what about, I know a lot of people, and this is something I do as well, is flowable down in the box and injecting the packable right into it. I do that. Actually, Dune doesn't. So we're actually a little bit different. I don't do it that way. Yeah. Why not, Dune? I don't know. I'm like, I'm like a, a do- old dog, and I just have kind of like my way that I've done it for 10 years. So I just do flowable layer than packable. Brisky, what do you suggest Dune does after he has all these voids because he doesn't do that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. What were you going to say, Brisky? Go I ahead. say he blames it on tooth sensitivity. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> just normal. <laughs> no, what, what I like to use is SDR flow. It's a bulk fill flowable. I still like the old school TPH composite. It's cheap and it works really well. Actually, it's not so cheap because it's actually the price has increased on that. But I like to use TPH. Uh, it's called SDR flow. It's by Densply. That is a bulk cure flowable. So what I'll do is I'll put that down first underneath it. And the way it just spreads, it's actually a little bit thicker. And I'll put usually about the first two millimeters of it with it. And I'll take my Perio Explorer and I'll paint around where each of the margins are, right where the box is on the deep portion of it. And I look at it and I see if I need to add just a little bit more. And then I cure it. But just like Dr. Dune said, we just do a three-second cure because you don't want to add too much of a shrinkage factor. You want to save the total cure till the end. So you want to add like 
incomplete cure levels on incomplete cure levels, and then a final cure at the very end. The only clarification, if you got like cure curing lights from eBay, then I don't know how to calibrate that. I'd say if you want to invest in something, maybe like a decent curing light, don't, don't go cheap on that because you don't know the level of cure that's occurring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially like if you got those cheapo lights and you're having sensitivity, there's so many variables that go into it. It's like, that's under your control. You know, I mean, everything's under your control to some extent, but that's something that's an easy fix just to drop a little bit extra money. And like we talked about the cost of having post-ops, I mean, it'll pay for itself. I have a question about, and I'm just curious to see what you guys say about this. Can you overcure the bond layer? Yeah, I don't think so. I think overcuring the bond layer would just be heating the tooth too much and getting sensitivity via that vehicle, not necessarily overcuring bond. Okay. And then, you know, I, something I see and I see that's in my associates is we have somebody come back with sensitivity. We adjust the bite a little bit, but people say, yeah, I got the sharp pain when I bite on it. What do you guys approach? Because I, th- I see this with my associates, like when should I replace the filling? When should I just adjust the bite and wait? What do we do? I think it all comes to the first visit, right? So the first visit that you're actually placing that composite. When people are checking bite, they kind of have it. You know, most dentists will say, hey, tap, tap on it, right? Tap, 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 tap. But you have to remember that the ligament flexes. The ligament flexes, I think it's 50 micrometers. So you have each tooth flexes 50 micrometers, it's 100 micrometers. Now your filling isn't actually adjusted correctly. So what I do is I have them tap up and down, and then I look at it, adjust it. Then I have them tap up and down while squeezing. I'm telling them, like, hey, squeeze. Right? And then you're getting that ligament to actually flex. So that way, once you actually do that, when they go home and the numbness wears off, they're not saying, hey, it's high. It's high because they can apply more pressure on it, especially because the ligament's compressing. Right? That's, that's one big tip that I've really cut down on my post-ops. I feel like I never have a tooth adjustment come in anymore. If it is, it's usually a tooth sensitivity issue, which is actually very rare as, as long as you're following proper etching under 10 seconds, like 10 seconds, scotch bond, thin, really, really good, right? Air dry, complete cure, bulk fill flowable underneath your box, cure, and then we do pack ball on top. As long as you're doing things like that and you've been using a wetting resin, you're not going to have too sensitivity. Sometimes we'll place a, like a limelight layer underneath it or a Theracal, but that's very rare. I think with, with really good bonding protocols, it's, it's an obsolete product. If you're using on that, you're mostly you're probably thinking that there's a pulpal exposure. <laughs> so at that point, let's just be honest with ourselves and send the patient for a root canal, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, to touch base on that, I mean, there's a product I use from Apex or Vista called Surpass, and it's a three-step bonding system. So if you add your clean and boost as your etch, it's four steps on the bonding, but the second layer is a desensitizer. And so whenever ever it's like a deep one and I'm like, okay, well, you know, there might have sensitivity or it's an MODBL, WTF filling. Like at that point, I'm using Surpass. And then I'll drop some dexamethasone, IV form or IM form, and I'll actually inject half a cc buckle of the tooth if I think it's going to be hot because that anti-inflammatory property also directly outside the tooth can help. You can do it post-endo. You can do it post-wisdom teeth. You can do it after deep fillings cost of the practice is, is minimal. And on top of that, you're cutting down on people coming back in for post-op sensitivity. And then you can also prescribe a Medrol dose pot pack, a dexamethasone. We do four milligrams over five days. So it's one four milligram tab every morning for five days. What happens when you take it in the morning? When you stand up, 
you, your body naturally releases cortisol. So you don't just like all the blood leaves your head and you faint. So the dexamethasone also releases cortisol. So you want them to take it in the morning because if they take it at night, then some people can get that like jittery insomnia feeling and then they don't sleep properly. So you have them take the steroid in the morning. That's what I would do. If, if that theoretical patient you brought up came into my practice, they're already sensitive on the filling. We adjust occlusion. If it's really sensitive and it's hot, I get them numb. I do the dexamethasone shot. And then we see, you know, if we can start to triage this thing. But at that appointment, I'm prepping them saying, hey, with biology and physiology, your tooth is not responding to this and you might need a root canal. And I'm already setting the tone on any deep filling that, hey, you might need a root canal. I'll always bet on you. It's the 50-50, but let's see how your body does with this. And I'm kind of already telling them from day one, it's up to their body. It's not my work. It's their body that's going to dictate this thing. Yeah, I always like to say that, you know, this tooth may need a root canal. It could be two months. It could be 25 years from now. We never know. And I, and I always like to throw that out there, too. One thing that popped in my mind that I'll just share with the listeners is that I stopped doing upper and lowers on the same side, you know, quadrant dentistry, because I want to have some proprioception to ask the patient, how does this feel? So I'll typically try to do opposite sides of the mouth that just because I don't want to do opposing quadrants. So I just threw that in there. That's a really great idea. Um, what I do with sedation cases, if I'm doing all four quads, is at the consult, I'm telling them, it's like, look, you know, when you're sedated and you're numb, you're not going to bite down reproducibly. So you need to come back in, you know, within 48 hours and we need to adjust and polish everything when, you know, proprioception or when you're not anesthetized, you had to come back in. So we set up a quick post-op right afterwards as well. Do you recommend replacing fillings if they're they're hot? You yeah. know, at some point, I'm just wondering when that when that happens. I'm curious. So first, we we start off with like the the actual occlusion, right? So let's just talk a couple of like small hints on occlusion. So when I first have them bite down, I check it, right? I'm just checking for like where the stamp on the tooth is, right? Is it in the wrong obvious location? And then I have them squeeze on it to get it a little bit more dialed in. I'm going to have them bite down and have them chew and not just like a tiny chew. I was like, Hey, chew side to side really, really good. Cause you have to remember a big source of pain are actually just on lower molars is because you can't have a contact on a marginal ridge on the lower. So on the lower, even pretty much all my patients now, I dial in the occlusion on that entire quadrant. <laughs> so I'll get my buckle cusps. I'll get the points on the buckle cusps. Right. And I'll get something kind of like a stamp in the middle of the tooth, but you don't want any occlusion on the marginal ridges. That's traumatic. That actually causes a good amount of tooth sensitivity. So the first thing I do is evaluate myself and I say, hey, did I do a good job with this tooth? Right. And just be honest with yourself. It's like, did I do a good job sealing it with curing it? Are my actual steps in line? If that's good, then sweet. Let's move on to the next one. At that point, I'd say it's occlusion based. So then that's when you do follow those rules of occlusion. Have them bite down, check it. Have them bite down, but squeeze hard. So you're flexing the ligament, check again then have them bite side to side for the excursives. And then remember on the lower teeth, away from the marginal ridges, leave it on the buccal cusp. And then on the uppers, leave it, leave it on the lingual cusp. Don't leave it on the buccal cusp. So you got to have the chewing, chewing forces. But if you still, all right, and at that point too, I'll typically place them on a steroid, just like Dr. June said. So I'll do a bite adjustment, steroid. Boom, they come back again. They say, hey, you know, it could be the bite. At that point, it's the bite. Cool. That does also cause tooth sensitivity because you have to remember once the ligament is inflamed from hitting on it so hard, you have to give the ligament time to calm down. And that's actually what's causing the majority of the tooth sensitivity because the ligament's inflamed. Now the tooth is sensitive. So it's actually only from the bite. And I feel like a lot of the time when I was younger, I would say, oh my God, this is a root canal. I'm going to go send this to endo. 
and so you get an endo evaluation. Like, no, don't do that. Check the simple things, right? But as far as actually replacing the filling, it's almost never because as long as your your actual bonding is according to what you're supposed to be doing, people have tooth sensitivity. That's okay. So you need to do follow the steps, right? The Beyonce cell first, check the occlusion. The only time you're going to be replacing a filling is if you have voids in there, right? Like if there's obvious signs of contamination that are going on. But if you choose to replace that tooth, now you're going to re-aggravate the tooth pulp and you're going to re-drill it and reintroduce heat to the tooth is a very bad idea. At that, at that point, you're going to introduce possible root canal at this point because you're drilling on the tooth and you have a bruise and now your bruise gets bigger and bigger and now you're at risk for a root canal. So I get very worried when I hear doctors say, hey, oh, I had to replace this. I'm like, oh my God, like, are you, that's probably, you're probably going to end up with a root canal now. <laughs> Well, I'll say that, you know, what, what I like to do, and, and one thing that just popped in my mind is that when people are checking bite, and I see this with my associates, is you got to look at the upper and lower canines, and if you see wear there, you need to get them all the way out there with their jaw, because you go side to side, they're not going there. You got to keep going, keep going more and more and more. I don't do this. Yeah, you do. You do it when you're sleeping, and you'll, you'll see some interferences, especially on like some like lingual cusps of the lowers, like, or, you know, you, you'll see it, especially in the crowns that... We mill and sometimes they get milled a little bit wider because we don't reduce enough and you'll, you'll pick up some stuff, especially with people with flat canines. So that's something that popped in my head. When I've replaced fillings, it's only been after I've adjusted the bite and I'll usually put a tooth sleuth on. And if I don't get any kind of response on the, on the tooth structure with the tooth sleuth, but I get it on top of the filling and I've already checked the bite one time, I'm usually going back in and doing saying that I have a bond failure. Yeah, that doesn't happen all that often. Yeah, I'm similar in that respect with you, Paul. It's adjust bite twice on mine. If they come in two separate times for two bite adjustments after steroids, and sometimes I can't get the tooth sleuth directly on the filling in itself. So I'll put, you know, like a football burr into my handpiece, and then I'll put it directly into the filling, and then I'll have them lightly press into it. Not on your electric handpieces, use a cheapo one, but then it puts direct pressure into your composite. And so then you can find out if it's a bond failure. And then also if you're flossing and you pull up and they feel sensitivity on the upward pull of the floss, then sometimes that's a, an indication of a bond failure as well. Ooh, that's a good one. They make these little strips called quick strips and they make them in different sizes, like a white, yellow, red. And this is increase in width. The white ones you just use to break contact. It doesn't have a strip in it. It just is, it kind of goes through and helps open up the floss. On those ones, I, t- I do the white strip and then I bring the mm-hmm. yellow strip and then they have no pain on pump flossing after that. So sometimes the contact's actually too tight. <laughs> and, same thing. Oh, and one, one last thing I actually want to bring up, which you know took me three years to figure out, was on crowns and fillings on second molars, like they'd come back in six months later and there's an open contact. And so you have to adjust your occlusion so you have contact on either the marginal ridge or like the mesial lingual cusp of that upper or the mesial buccal cusp of the lower, and then you take out all the distal contacts on second molars because that when they're bruxing or they're apneic and they're clenching and they're going through parafunctional habits, they're going to distalize those teeth, and you're going to see it and be like, why, why am I having open contacts? Why are they packing meat up there? And it's because of the occlusion on those second molars. Yeah, I think we're coming up on time, guys, but I want to throw in one more thing, and I, I'm just... And I'm not poo-pooing my associates. I love my associates. I'm just saying I see other people's dentistry. That's why I keep saying like my associates, I see this. When you come back to adjust a bite on a tooth, adjust, adjust the bite. Like don't be scared. 
get in there and do something for the patient and don't be scared to do too much because I'd rather, I always tell them, I'd rather you adjust it too much than too little because once they keep coming back, they're just like, dude, what is, I've never had this issue with a, with a filling before. I've never had this issue with the crown before. What the heck is wrong with this guy or girl? What's wrong with this dentist? Adjust the bite. Like just get in there and get after it because I just, I see it all the time where they're just too timid to really grind that thing down. And I, I think you're better grinding it more than less. I think it's about being honest with yourself with these ones because the first time you have a patient come in for a bite, you're like, oh, that wasn't me. I didn't leave that occlusion high, right? So you just kind of go over yeah, and like, oh, zip, zip, they're, they're fine. Like, no, like look at the occlusion, right? <laughs> it's right yeah. there in front of you. And I think the biggest thing that I did early on was take a good occlusion class, right? And we, Dr. Dune, I mean, at least for myself, I think Dr. Dune could say the same thing. We really enjoyed clinical mastery series, just the first one. It was absolutely amazing because there's a lot of bigger ones out there like Koi, Stoss, and those ones. I feel like those ones are very, very long. I don't get as much fundamental information out of it. I like to go through something one weekend and learn the things I need to learn and go home. And I think that was a good one. Yeah, absolutely. All right, coloradosurgicalinstitute.com. If you want to hear more from Tahir and Dan and check out their courses that they provide, go and check out their website. All right, thanks, guys. We'll, we'll talk to you next time. Sounds yeah, good. Thanks, man. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. Dune from Colorado Surgical Institute. Just wanted to give you guys a shout out and let you know about the program. We have full arch surgeries. We have lateral sinus lifts. We have block rafting courses all done in one weekend with the whole digital workflow with photogametry units, scanners, 3D printers, milling, you name it, anything regarded to full arch, we cover in depth. We also have a PGCA course. What that is, it's the Postgraduate Clinical Accelerator course where we are going to be covering wisdom teeth, single implants, and it can be complex single implants with vertical sinus lifts. We'll also be covering full arch extractions with ridge reduction, bone grafting, PRP, suturing, and we also will have a course on socket preservation. So if you guys are interested in any of those courses, please reach out to us at Colorado Surgical Institute. The code is HERO10 for 10% off our courses because we love Paul Etchison and his podcast, and we're here to help.